Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Williamsburg comedian and possible abominable snowman, Yeti Kiersnowski. This conversation was so good that I forgot to ask him why they call him Yeti. So, uh, your guess is as good as mine. Although, if you look at him, you kind of figure it out. You're in for a real treat. Yeti's going to open the On the Zoom comedy show on Saturday, May 8th. He'll be there with James Mack from New Jersey and Wes Corwin from Texas. Tickets for that show are five bucks. Before that, though, we've got the 11th On the Zoom comedy show on Saturday, March 27th. Seth Ruddick from Cortland, New York is going to be there. Angelia Petrillo from Scranton, Pennsylvania. And headlining is Dan Bublitz Jr. from St. Paul, Minnesota. Show starts at 8. Tickets are 5 bucks and available through Facebook and Eventbrite now. Patreon members get into every show for just 5 bucks a month. They've all been a ton of fun, and if you sign up for the Patreon, you can go back and watch previous shows. It's a good time. Trust me. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. Hey, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Hey, not a problem. How's it been? That's good. I uh, to go behind the curtain. We were supposed to do this two hours ago, two and a half hours ago, and my computer didn't want to let me in. Let's just put it that way. No sign-in was allowed. So I appreciate your patience. Hey, not a problem. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. You know, like I, I was trying to find, I, I've never had this problem before, and I was trying to find the Windows boot up disk, and I couldn't find it, but it's kind of excited uh, in more ways than one. Do you know what I did find? I found every porn video I ever had in college, all, <laughs> all burned on discs. I don't know what's on there, but... Uh, so nobody may hear from you for the next four or five days as you take a stroll down memory lane. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm using my dad's laptop, so I'm going to wait a little bit on that because... <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you know what? He probably knew what I was doing because he was a, a kid once, but... He never caught me doing that. Imagine that. Like, we get rid of VCR, so so your dad's VHS tape couldn't be found anymore. But now, what happens if I leave my porn CD in his laptop drive? (laughs) That's actually, like, one of the bits I do, because I'm like, okay, so um, I'm in my mid-40s. I'm beyond the point of, like, shame. (laughs) So I'm... I openly throw out there that if I die before uh, anybody else in my family... The password to my laptop is poop69 naked. Both P's and the N are capitalized. Sure, and I not? actually have my startup screen as Pornhub. And the search is little people peeing on amputees on crocodiles. Just because I want them to be like, oh, God. I'm just trying to sprinkle like my afterlife with little things to fuck with my family. I'll bet you anything, if somebody opens that up, let's say a police officer has to come in, like a medical examiner or somebody, <laughs> they see that that uh, username, they're like, oh, cool, now we don't have to call anybody else because this person obviously has nobody who cares for them. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, aside from the fact that nobody will probably find me for a few days and my dog will have eaten most of me, but hey, you know, that's the life you live. I never thought about that, which is like, I have cats and 
You know, the whole joke is, oh, they'll eat your eyes. But will dogs, you think, actually eat you? Oh, yeah. They have no source of food. There are stories that uh, I've read uh, of uh, medical examiners who were just like, oh, yeah, like this person died two weeks ago and nobody knew it. So their dogs started eating them because dogs are just like, okay, well, they're gone, but they're meat. So eh, we're hungry. I just want to let you know, we're about three minutes into this podcast and we've already covered porn habits. And dogs eating flesh. So congrats. It's all downhill from here. How is that possible? Trust me. You don't know the levels of depravity that happen. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and this is why I'll never have a Netflix special. (laughs) I thought you were going to say account. And I'm like, (laughs) Netflix has barred you from having an account. That's that's impressive. (laughs) Yeah, like. It's just weird because it's like being older than a lot of uh, the people that are doing comedy now. Like, we're about the same age. Oh, so that it's hurts. like, I, give or take a <laughs> few years. I'm 37. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm 44, but it's like I grew up in the heyday of the internet when, like, your sole purpose on the internet was to shock people. Yeah. Do you remember rotten.com? Dude, I remember stuff before Rotten.com. What was before that? IRC chats. Like, you would just go into these chats, and it would take you 10 hours to download a video of, like, a crocodile eating someone's head. And you were like, oh, that's normal. Now it's like all the gore that you see online doesn't really phase me, because I've pretty much seen it all. So you're basically... The representation of everything congressmen have been warning us about with the internet, like violence in video games, violence on, on in music, on TV, that's going to warp somebody's brain. You are the product of that, except for the fact that you're not committing the stuff. You're just completely desensitized. I wouldn't say I'm desensitized, but it doesn't shock me like it does most people. I mean, yeah, there are still videos that I see that I'm like, oh, wow, that's messed up. Like, every time, like, an athlete, like, shatters their uh, legs, that still makes me cringe. Those are things that get to me. But it's like uh, I was talking to somebody the other night about um, I was uh, cruising through Reddit uh, a few weeks ago, and there were, um, like, with technology becoming as... uh, accelerating the way that it is i saw pictures of a wing walker on a biplane crashing and they're super high def pictures they're so high def that you're like oh that's her teeth scattered all over the ground there's a hole in her head there's her brain it's just one of those things where it's just like okay uh and i'm sitting there eating chips and hummus while looking at this but it's also like i grew up in the era where i would go to the video store by my house and rent the goriest horror movies humanly possible i can't do that oh i i grew up on like the evil dead movies and all that and slasher flicks so it doesn't like there are times where it's hard to differentiate reality as opposed to um fiction i still watch american history x probably every year or two you've seen it uh-huh. oh the curb stomps yeah yeah Ooh. the curb stomp. like okay so that does it for you though like because it's yeah. not even it's not even edward norton putting his foot down it's the teeth 
going onto the curb. That'll give me the chills. The sound editing of that scene. Oh, it's perfect. Oh, it was so brutal. Like, I mean, there's stuff in movies that like major motion pictures that I'm just like, yo, wow, that is fucked up. But you also have to realize like that was made in a uh, studio somewhere. I mean, there was actually a really good horror movie that came out about a guy who makes those sounds for movies. I know that you're a big movie buff, and I am too, but I'm one of those people that I spend as much time watching the making of movies as I do the actual movies. I like watching, and I think this is almost pathetic, but I'll watch a movie like Goodwill Hunting, yeah. and I love the movie. First night I had the DVD, I watched the movie, and then, because I couldn't sleep, I watched the commentary on it. Yeah. And made it through, I mean, that was what, four plus hours of movie, and I loved it. And I am a huge Kevin Smith fan, and I've watched all of his commentaries at least once. I really nerd out on that stuff. Yeah, like, I love seeing how they do stuff in movies, like, I grew up, I always wanted to do special effects for movies, and I just never got the opportunity to. And I'm, I uh, love just watching how they make the stuff happen, because it's what you see on screen, there's like a hundred people responsible for. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, that's amazing. Like, I love the creativity of it. It's weird to think, though, like, especially with like the COVID stuff and everything. You think, oh, well, it, you know, it only takes what? 20 people to make a TV show or something like that, like the writers and everything. But then you yeah. forget all the all the text behind the scenes. Oh, and yeah. It's like just the camera. I mean, you got three or four camera operators, you know, at a time. And oh, then yeah. all, all, everybody who, who who works anything behind the scenes. And so you hear like Tom Cruise yelling at, at people in the movie. Well, he's probably saving hundreds and maybe thousands of jobs. And it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's right. There are yeah. a whole lot of people working harder behind the scenes. Yeah. And he's also clearing them of their thetans as well. You know, he was in cocktail. So <laughs> the guy can't really do no wrong. I, yeah. I think with Tom Cruise, my sister loved him. I will always think about that, how she loved him, how his teeth were not straight, like his, you know, like they were like a centimeter off or something like that yeah. in the middle. Once you see it, you can't not see it or think about it. And yeah, I always go back to like, oh, he was in Cocktail. And I've seen the movie once. Uh, yeah. I'm sure he was. I know he was in a lot of other movies. I like Jerry Maguire. And, you know, OK, I didn't think we'd get to Tom Cruise. But granted, I didn't think we'd talk about dogs eating people. But well, did you ever see Rain Man? Oh, I love Rain Man. All right, then I've watched it twice, I think, once as an adult. And I watched, you know, everybody knows the toothpick thing and the Judge Wapner. I fucking hated the way it ended. Yeah. I thought the ending of that movie completely sucked because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he puts his brother on a bus, Tom Cruise, and he just says goodbye. And there's nothing yeah. like, like the, I don't think there's a resolution to the movie. Am I wrong? No, uh, the thing is, is. Tom Cruise's character was a piece of shit at the beginning. He started getting redemption and then he ended up still being a piece of shit. Okay. All right. Like that's, that's who he was through and through. He just used Raymond the whole time. And it's tragic because Raymond never knew he right. was not capable of knowing that his brother was just using him. And that was the tragedy of that movie was the fact that Tom Cruise would fuck over his own brother who is highly functioning autistic to make money. Right. Because that's who he was. 
maybe I need to watch it again under that scope because, and I, I remember liking the movie. It's just the ending killed yeah. me. And all I could think was I wasted two hours for this shit. And maybe, maybe I was hoping for a happy ending. Uh, yeah. Maybe that was the only time I did see it. But I remember my sister had the VHS and then it must've been in some science class, like biology where the teacher played for us that toothpick scene where I think it was 256 toothpicks. And yeah. Like that, just to to show us autism. That was really it. So I yeah. went back. God, I don't. I, I might. I might own the DVD actually. So yeah. I'll, I'll bet you anything I own the DVD. So yeah, I remember watching it and just was pissed off. Well, I mean, that's the thing is there were little sparks of humanity shown in Tom Cruise's character, but it wasn't a redemption arc, which would have been like the easy way out for Hollywood. He could have easily kept him and been like, we're a happy family now. But that's not how he was programmed to be. I wonder, too, Tom Cruise came off as such a dickbag in so many of his 80s movies. And that was 88. Yeah. I wonder if like he had to or the studios had to keep him on one track. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at like his career, like he uh, gets typecast as like the do-gooder. But when he plays a villainous role... He does an absolute phenomenal job. When was he a like, villain? I don't know his career that well. But when Collateral was he with Jamie Foxx. Okay. Uh, it's a brilliant movie. He plays a hitman, and uh, Jamie Foxx plays a taxi driver, and uh, he makes Jamie Foxx drive him around L.A. to uh, all these uh, hits that he has. It's a huge change of character for him. Because you always know him as kind of like the lighthearted guy, but also like a movie like Magnolia, where he's playing like this self-help guru who um, is just trying to help guys get laid because he's so hollow inside. There are times he stretches out, and when he does, it's actually pretty awe-inspiring because he really is a good actor. It's just he... Um, has the shadow of Scientology hanging over him. Yeah. And we all know that that's the one true religion. So I'm not going to ask about that. I, the one <laughs> thing, the one thing uh, that plays in my head, uh, my high school, I dated this woman for four years and she liked Tom Cruise too, but she saw, I think vanilla sky. Yeah. And she would yell the line, not to me, but it was about that movie. I swallowed your cum for you. <laughs> and then like i never you know back then i don't know if youtube even existed but every couple of years i'll google or i'll put uh vanilla sky in youtube and like that's the first scene that comes up i think she's driving off a cliff or like in a car accident or or yeah. whatever avoiding traffic and i'm like oh my god what a fucked up movie but I, that's the one that was he a villain because i never saw that movie you know it's been a long time since i've seen that and admittedly i don't think that i saw that sober I think I was under the influence of something. <laughs> so it, it, my recollection of it is uh, fairly hazy. I mean, I'll probably try and give it another watch, but I honestly just remember some of the visuals and that's it. Yeah, I just know Tom Cruise is in it and Cameron Diaz is in it. That's yeah. really and that, that one line. And I barely know the line. But my sister's huge Tom Cruise fan. And, you know, I've never asked her about that scene for obvious reasons. But I know yeah. he's a good actor. I just don't know his work as probably as well as I should. Well, I mean, he he's had a lot of good movies, but he's had a lot of like questionable movies, too. 
But I will give the guy credit for being almost 60, I think, like in his mid to late 50s. The fact that he gets out there and throws his body on the line, still doing the big stunts for the Mission Impossible movies, that says something. There are, what, seven of those? Eight of those? I think the eighth one is coming out soon. It's got to be what he's working on now. Yeah, and I know that he did a stunt that he broke a few ribs on this one, but they're popular movies, and they're actually fun movies because they have a good supporting cast. I'll watch them, and they're one of the few franchises that they've actually gotten better as they've gone along. I have not seen one, not one of those movies. Okay. There might have been a chance where I saw Mr. Impossible 2, but I think I would remember, and my personality would you know much like uh in rain man uh, my friends think i'm autistic so my personality you will not let me see oh okay thank you <laughs> i got confirmation <laughs> but my brain will not let me see a sequel before i see the original so yeah i don't remember seeing the original therefore i probably wouldn't have seen the second one well i mean it's probably just one of those things with me where it's like i saw one of the sequels just because it was on tv and i had nothing better to do Okay. And then uh, I'll go back and backtrack. Like, there are some movies that I've seen sequels of, and I've never seen the original. Like, I don't think I've ever seen the original Fast and Furious. It's a franchise I don't care to see. I don't care about the narrative, but some of the car chases are pretty cool. Yeah. I know the same ex-girlfriend bought me for my birthday American Pie 2 and Scary Movie 2. And I had seen both of the originals, and I know what her mindset was. But I said, thank you, but I don't own the first two. I said, you basically gave me an assignment, a shopping list, so I could spend $30 on myself for my birthday. And she's like, yeah, but you've seen those. And I'm like, I understand, but I had to. It was the first time I remember really having to explain my mindset to someone I wanted to sleep with. And then (laughs) feeling vindicated because I actually got to sleep with her again. Like, that's my fear. Like, if I expose my brain to somebody I care for, they're just going to be like, oh, fuck this. Oh, you I still do out. that? <laughs> no, I try. No, I, I'm very, I shut down. I'm like, no, I'm just going to be, I got three cats, man. There's a reason I have three cats. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped doing that a long time ago because once you pry into my brain, it's just like, wow, (laughs) what happened to this guy in life? That's why I like doing comedy, because especially within the community, like if you're on stage, people know that you're not all the way there. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, oh, there's something wrong with this motherfucker. That's why he's on stage. Let's go be friends. Yeah. I vowed like uh, early on when I started uh, doing comedy that if any woman sees my act, and doesn't know me and wants to sleep with me afterwards, that's a huge red flag. (laughs) That's just like, that's like persona non nookie right there. Yeah. Cause it's just like, okay, so I go into some dark territory sometimes and like, I'm just like, Oh no, baby, what are you going to try and do to yourself here? I've seen a guy twice bring first dates to an open mic. Oh, yeah. I've done and I'm that. Like, I'm like, guy, man, what are you doing? How, how'd it go for you? Because we never saw those women again. No, I didn't either. Uh, <laughs> there, I uh, I think you heard it the other night at uh, a mic we were on. Zach Hammond, I opened a show for him, and I was on a first date with a woman. All oh, right. And right. I, 
right after the show we were leaving and she was like i just got called into work and i was like <laughs> i was just like holy shit ray charles saw that coming and he's dead <laughs> like i knew so it's just one of those things where it's like i make no bones about it i'm on dating apps and stuff and i throw it out there and i'm like i do stand up no you can't go and no i'm not telling you a joke yeah it's like that hannibal burris bit where people find out and they're like oh tell us a joke and it's just like nah, it doesn't work like that and luckily since the shutdown since i don't have to be around people it doesn't happen a whole lot anymore i just don't understand like the thought process on that i guess i do maybe but if you've ever seen like, say you're a big John Mulaney fan. How many one-liners does John Mulaney have? You know, like he's probably got some there, but on stage, it's like he's all story to story. So, like, you know, like the punchline to his friend hiding, like stealing photos and putting in the secret room doesn't work without the preceding eight minutes. And yeah. he's not going to tell a nine-minute story to somebody he just met at a subway. And that's the thing is like because it's when I would go out to bars and stuff. Uh, like my friends would introduce me to their friends and they'd be like, Oh, he does stand up. And people were just like, So you're going to tell us a joke? And I'm like, You're going to pay me? Yeah. But like the people that know me know that I'm not just going to do stuff for them. Like I may drop a one liner or two, but I'm not going to do a full bit to appease people at a bar. You know, it's a lot harder than telling a one liner or a joke to a crowd that doesn't like it. It's telling that one-liner to one person who asked for a joke and he doesn't like it. Yeah. That's like, oh, like immediately you could tell a 15 minute bit, like you could do a 15 minute bit and have a few jokes at work. And inevitably people are going to be like, oh, he's funny. He deserves to be on stage. But if you tell a small joke to a person and you say, yeah, I do stand up comedy. He's going to be like, oh, that guy's full of shit. He's not funny. It's like, you got one, I don't know, 12 second audition. Yeah. It doesn't go well. It's like, oh, now I look like an asshole. I'm awkward. Might as well never talk to each other again. And I'll go. I'll leave the bar. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, it's the rare times where I can actually get somebody who's known me for a few years to come out to a show. Yeah. <laughs> I did a show. Uh, actually, uh, tomorrow will be exactly one year. The uh, bar that we were doing it at was closed on Sundays. They just opened up to do this show because I asked. A friend of mine uh, showed up because he thought that they were just open. And I was like, no, get your ass in there. See a show. And um, I headlined and he was just like, dude, he was just like, I wasn't sure how I would respond to your comedy because I know you as a person. But he was just like, you shine in a different light when you're on stage. And I'm like, you know why? It's because I love the attention. Like, there's nothing better than being up there on stage. And when you nail a punchline, that roar you get back from the crowd. Because that uh, we sold that show out, and I think there were like 85 people there. Which, to get 85 people to a show of locals in Williamsport is (laughs) amazing. Getting 85 people to do something in Williamsport all at once is amazing. Yeah, outside of the Little League World Series, nobody nobody does anything. No, no. Like, most people are just like, oh, we had to spend money? We're not doing that. Yeah, especially at a bar that was, you know, it's usually closed on Sundays. 
Yeah. Like you must have been like promoting that show for weeks. No, we put it together a week and a half before it happened. Oh, fuck that, really? Yeah, it was um it also depends on the venue too, because people have their bars that they go to. Like uh the bar uh it's called Kimball's, and I will say nothing but good things about Kimball's. I used to work there. I could call them up if the shutdown wasn't happening. I could have somebody hit me up for a show in like two weeks and be like, what can you do? And I can call the owner of Kimball's and say, hey, I got a show on a Sunday night. Right. And uh, they're cool about it because we do a door deal. We take the door. The bar takes whatever they do in food and alcohol sales. Actually, the first comedy show that I did, I was at Kimball's, but it was before I was actually doing stand up. They just asked me to host because they knew that I was announcing roller derby and emceeing burlesque shows at the time. <laughs> Which is a natural progression into stand-up. Oh, I mean, emceeing the burlesque shows is actually what got me to do stand-up. It was cool because it was just like, all right, cool. Like, this is home. So the headline, that was actually my first show that I headlined. And I had a really good half an hour set. I went in there with 16 minutes of material, but had enough to riff with people, and I had the time of my life. So I I was just stoked on that one. Did you have good crowd participation on that? Because that's, you know, half of your set is. is yeah. Fun. Yeah. Like I was talking to people and joking with them. So it was just it was awesome. I mean, and that's the thing is like, yeah, you get a dead crowd every now and then. But when you get a crowd that's lively and wants to party, that's where it happens. Yeah, I told you, um, I did that show in Northumberland and on what, December 11th or whatever. And, you know, that might be the last show I do for a while live. And what sucked is that the audience was really good. But when I opened it up for question, like, I'm like, hey, do you guys ever do this or anybody do this? Nothing. And it's like, yeah. like, I might, I might've gotten like one hand raise or, you know, like somebody talking to the person next to them. I'm like, all right, come on. Like I'm trying to relate to somebody yeah. and that hurts because it's like, it doesn't kill your momentum, but yeah. when an audience can help and they choose yeah. not to, it's like, all right, cool. I get it. But you know, you, you kind of roll with it. Yeah. I mean, the last show that I did before the shutdown, it was me, Chris William and Rashid Wesley. We had 11 people there. It was so much fun. Like, crowds really can make the show. If they're engaged and they're in a good mood, like, you can go on and on. So I, I had a really fun set, and I walked away from it just like, hell yeah. Like, I didn't expect a lot of people to show up to it, but it ended up being worth my time. Yeah, and you probably made what twenty five bucks, maybe, and uh, it didn't no, matter. Like, money, <laughs> right? But like, you probably don't feel like oh, it was a waste of my time at all. Like, you had a great time. Yeah, and that's the thing is, I'm I'm not in this for money because most of the shows that I do that aren't open mic, it's because Kevin Seibert needs an opener. And he knows that he hates asking people because he can't really pay an opener. Yeah. And the shows that he books are five minutes from my house. And I'd feel like an asshole if I'd be like, hey, okay, well, I need $100 for that. 
I grew up in the punk rock scene. Like, you take what you can, you know? Like, stage time around here is so scarce because we have one weekly open mic. So you may get like four to six minutes a week if you show up. So take whatever you can. Be grateful for it. The only time I've ever asked for money for a show was um, a year ago, the October before this past October, I opened for Jim Brewer at a big uh, venue. And um, I got paid nothing. And then they turned around and I got like two drink tickets. Ooh, yeah. So, uh, Lewis Black, uh, was, uh, scheduled to perform there and I don't even know if the show happened, but, uh, cause it was like right around shutdown time and, uh, they contacted me. I'm like, okay, well, uh, I gave you a freebie. So I asked for a hundred dollars and they were like, uh, we don't pay local talent. And I was just like, all right, have fun. That's bullshit. Yeah. You do the work, you do the work, you put in the time and obviously, I mean, the people booking, were they comedians at all? No, it was um, it's uh, the Community Arts Center. Okay. And um, I have friends that uh, played in bands that open up for bigger bands, and um, they didn't get paid either. And I'm like, you know, being in a band and being a comedian are kind of the same thing, like, except for we're not paying for instruments and stuff. But, you know, it's like, it's kind of demeaning to say, hey, you know, well, we're going to have you open up for this, well, except for the Community Arts Center, like this band that was relevant 30 years ago that nobody's given a shit about that has no original members. But here, uh, it'll get your name out. Yeah, but you know what? They're also counting on the local talent. The, the only reason they're bringing in local talent is because they're cheap and they might have a following. So yeah. they're counting on that three or four piece band to probably bring in two or three people per member. So, like, they're going to obviously take the 12 friends' money. So, it's yeah. like, why don't you pay the band in the their friends' money? You know, oh, like, yeah. their admission. Something like that. So, that's what I don't understand. Like, there's some value, and you're going to get better talent if you put up some money. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is there's a few venues around here, or a few bars that'll book touring comedians. But they won't have local uh, talent open up for them. Because I'll see a comedy show at a place and I'll be like, hey, do you need a local opener? And crickets. But right. they would never book a show with just local talent. So it it's kind of demeaning to us. But luckily, like, we get comedians that hit us up. Well, mostly it it's Kevin Seibert when I say us. Like, I help Kevin right, right, as right. much as I can, but he uh, gets a lot of the shows in Williamsport. Yeah, I wonder, though, like, I don't know. The way I book shows is, and, like, I, I can't say that I came up through the punk rock scene like you did. You know, I came up through knowing what punk rock was and trying to emulate that in what I'm doing. And yeah, I like doing things like Ground Roots and finding bars and producing shows like you know, going to a town like Ithaca just to watch comedians and and going to an open mic in Lewisburg and trying to make friends with, you know, different talents so I could book them on shows wherever. I like that aspect, but I also value your time and your, like if if you did a show with me, you might not get paid a ton because, you know, it's determined on, uh, you know, maybe I have a base plus tips or it's determined on ticket sales. Like I might never, ever be able to guarantee you the exact amount of money. 
but you're going to get yeah. something because I don't believe in not paying. I've had people do guest spots and I try to give them at least $10. If you ever ask me to do a show because you and I have a good repertoire, I'm not going to try and jack you for money. Right. Of I, course. You're, I'm grateful for the fact that you thought enough of me to put me on a show. Like I said, I'm not trying to make a career out of this. I'm not trying to go out and tour maybe a few weekends here and there when things let up. But for the most part, I'm too old to tour. My niche market is pretty much like, I don't even know because I can't relate to people younger than me. I don't understand (laughs) current pop culture. I always say that I was born in the wrong decade. Because I'm more interested in, like, stuff that happened 50 years ago than I am stuff that's happening now. So it's like my mind is set, like, in the counterculture stuff of the 70s rather than stuff that, like, I joke around that I'm the only white guy during the shutdown who hasn't started a podcast, a video blog, or a TikTok <laughs> Man, I was feeling good about myself until you said TikTok. I uh because, oh, did you? You know, well, yes, my friend Danielle kept sending me cat TikToks. And you know, I'd go to the website and I'm like, okay. And she said, Hey, now she texts us because she's never gonna get close to me. But she said she's very smart. Uh she said, Hey, if you sign up for TikTok, I can direct message you to them uh, them and then it'll be easier. So I'm like, okay. So I joined. And I think she's the only one who follows me, so <laughs> which is fine. It's it's better for everybody. But yes, I do have a TikTok. But you know, everybody's getting that podcast, and I'm like, I felt good about myself because I started mine five months before the shutdown happened. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I'm ahead of the curve. I, I'm not part of that cliche joke that I even use. But no, then you went TikTok. So thanks for hurting my yeah. feelings. Uh, oh well, you'll get over it. <laughs> Maybe I figure like I have a good like six to eight month period before this podcast uh, gets uh, uploaded, <laughs> so uh, you'll get over it by then. Oh man, and, and, like, like I hope so. That is such like I don't think of myself as, as an anxious person, but like there's a chance, and I everybody I interview now because I'm so fucking far ahead. Like I need comedy to come back full swing just because I won't be able to record as many podcasts as I've been doing. I'm like four months ahead of schedule and like I it's not maybe three and a half, but like the last couple I've released, I think I recorded in July and we're recording this in December and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I don't even know what we talked about. So I'm trying yeah. to re-record intros and I'm like, I'm not listening to the whole fucking thing just so, oh. I, so I can recap it for myself. So my intros are like, well, we recorded this in July. I don't know what the hell we talked about, but I'm sure it was good. I was going to fuck oh. with you at the beginning. Um because if you had started differently, I was going to be like, yeah, things are going pretty well. Uh, me and my wife have had a pretty good 2022. 20, uh, we just got back <laughs> from seeing the second Avatar movie, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I figure uh, that'll be uh, about the time that this podcast gets uploaded and shared. Yeah, or I'll just delete the whole <laughs> fucking thing if you're an asshole. So keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. We both can fuck with each other about it. So I got friends who have recorded podcasts with other people and they're like, oh, yeah, we never aired that episode. I cannot for the life of me understand how they can be okay with that. Like I understand if it sucks and it's not good and you re-record. I get that completely. 
But to just record with somebody and not air it at all, I'm like, yeah. how do you not like like every time you open Facebook and see that person's name, how do you not like think about apologizing and explaining? Like that would eat me away. Even holding those episodes for four or five months, like it did every Friday when I released a podcast, I'm like, oh shit, like this person's probably saying, oh, another Friday, no Hal Stewart. Well, for me, it's like, this is actually, uh, I've been doing comedy now for uh, almost four years, give or take, like, cause I would disappear for a few months at a time because I'm weird like that. But, um, this is actually only the second time I've, uh, done a podcast for comedy. Oh, wow. I didn't see the rule book. I didn't realize we weren't supposed to ask you. Oh no. Like, um, it's just because people don't ask. It's weird. So my friend Dan, um, he had a guest bail on him on his podcast and he, uh, messaged me and was just like, Hey, um, what are you doing in like 15 minutes? I need a guest for my podcast. I was like, all right, cool. It ended up being a lot of fun because uh, he actually had lived in Williamsport years ago and hated it. So all he did was trashed it. Williamsport's an easy town to trash. I spent a little bit of time there. (laughs) This is pathetic on my part, but maybe my favorite moment in Williamsport happened in a pizza hut. That's, (laughs) That's as exciting as it gets. Three friends of mine and I went, we were in Lock Haven, and I think we were visiting my friend Carrie who was in Williamsport, and we sat down for the all-you-can-eat pizza buffet. I don't remember how many trips I took to the buffet, and I was in pretty decent shape, and I just kept putting down pizza, and we were there for like 90 minutes, two hours, and then we were like, how long have we been here? I had had to have eaten like three like entire pizzas, you know? Yeah. Garbage. I mean, pizza's fine, but it's like when you think about how much grease and, oh, it's just. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's why I'm overweight now is that all that pizza was just sitting there like, no, we're going to expand when you when you are inactive. All that dough. Oh, God. Like, I mean, I can put down some pizza, but pizza buffets are for people that seriously just have issues with eating. A few years ago, I had moved to Richmond, Virginia, and I was dirt poor. And there was a uh, pizza buffet chain down there called CC's. Oh, yeah, I know and that. One. So I would go to CC's with Ziploc bags and a backpack and just like stuff all as much pizza I could in Ziploc bags and in my backpack and roll out and have food for a few days. Oh, my God, that's great. I always want to do that at Chinese buffets, but yeah. I have the stones to do it. Like, I always had cargo pants or cargo shorts. Easily, I could put Ziploc bags in there. Yeah, like, I used to be such a kleptomaniac to the point that I was so arrogant about it. I could walk into a store and have a conversation with someone while I was stealing from them. (laughs) Because it's all about confidence. Like, if you go in there and act sketchy, they're going to know. But if you make nice, like, and especially if, like, it's a mall store. Yeah. Like, you talk to the staff there and you don't act sketchy, they're not going to think anything of it. But in reality, like, you're walking out with $300 worth of shit. I mean, but this is also, like, 20 years ago back when I was a real big piece of shit. So now it's like... I'm like, nah, it's not worth it. My friend Josh stole everything. 
in my house, I've got a McDonald's straw dispenser, the big wooden one. We're, we're eating there, and he says, hey, Mike, I got an idea. I said, what do you need? He goes, just a distraction. <laughs> I asked somebody for help up there, and then I stood, like, I widened my shoulders. And uh, as he picked up this, I mean, it's not a huge piece, but it's yeah. – I mean, it's it's big. And he just walked out of McDonald's with it and went right to my car. And <laughs> so we did. We had Arby's trays, putters from mini golf. Yeah. Denny's menus, you know, you road cone. And yeah. we put everything in the back of my blazer and then we transferred it to my Honda Accord. So one day my dad came out and I was going through the trunk for something. And he's like, what the hell is all this? <laughs> I had to take everything out. And he goes, how did you get this out of there? And I said, well, it was really tough. He goes, you know, it's going to be harder is when you go back and return it all. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, I will. And that straw dispenser is in my kitchen right now because there was no way I was going to say, hey, Ronald, look what I got. Yeah. I still think one of my crowning achievements of stealing was stealing the drive through menu from a Taco Bell while I was ordering. How do you do that? Like the, uh, it was the old ones where you use the key to open it up and like the plexiglass thing. And it was just like an insert. So I just used a pocket knife, Jimmy the Mopin, and stole the entire drive through menu. My Lord, that if I did that, that would be my wallpaper. <laughs> like that would be it i maybe i put it over my you know how like boys would put posters of hot women on their ceiling mine would be the taco bell menu <laughs> so when, wow. and the next time i have a woman over she's like man you really haven't had sex in two years i'm like look up she's like, oh, i sexually identify as a chalupa Hey, who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> hey, little lady, I'm trying to go to your south of the border. <laughs> um, hey, uh, let's talk about comedy. It's been 40 minutes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, Why do you? So you, you touched on it before, but why did you get started? I mean, four years ago, you're emceeing shows. What gave you the motivation to say, hey, I want to start writing jokes and performing my own material? Like I said, I used to announce for roller derby, which was fun. And then I'm. Um, I still have friends, and uh, when we're not shut down, I MC uh, burlesque shows. After I had emceed uh, a burlesque show, a uh, woman that was in the crowd who uh, was instrumental in the uh, Lewisburg open mic scene, Jess, who uh, she passed away uh, last year. After uh, the show, she was just like, you need to do stand-up. You're natural on stage. So uh, another friend of mine was just like, yeah, like they do it in Lewisburg every week. Do you want to go? And I was just like, yeah, sure. And I went down there and um, I'd written a ton of material for it, getting ready. I got up on stage and um, my first set, I didn't understand pacing. So I did uh, probably about six minutes worth of comedy in about two minutes and four seconds. Been there. So, but I, uh, I got a decent reaction. I didn't really know anybody there, but everybody came up and they were like, Hey, you know, we liked you and you know how it goes with open mics. You get people who try it once and they don't know how, how they did or anything, or they're not sure. So they never show back up. But I think a lot of it was how warm and welcoming, uh, the people were. So I kept going back. 
And uh, they've really been great about helping me write and whatever, like giving me pointers. Like um, one of the uh, people that has been outstanding through all this is Zach Hammond, because he'll, after a set, he'll be like, okay, this is what worked. This is what you need to improve on. And this isn't what, this is what didn't work. So like Zach actually tells you what worked because he's never, ever told me what works for my set. Maybe there's a problem with my set though. You suck. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> but the thing is, it's like people will give you pointers in that, but not in a demeaning way, right? Like if you bomb a set, oh, we'll let each other know. Like we'll just be like, wow, way to fuck that one up. <laughs> so um, I started getting put on a few shows, and um, since then, like it's just been a fun ride. The problem is, it's like, I haven't been able to really, like, get out much and do stuff. Like, the only out-of-area show that I got booked on, last year I got booked uh, at uh, the Church of Satire in Lancaster. That's a good one. And I couldn't make it because I woke up so sick that morning. I was doing everything I could. Like, I was having stomach issues. I felt horrible canceling because I hate canceling. I've done shows where I can barely move because I'm just like, I hate canceling. But uh, that one, I was just like, okay, it's a three-hour drive. I'm not going to be able to do it. And part of the reason why I don't really travel much is because I have an especially needy dog who I don't really trust to leave with anyone. I get that part. I've got three needy cats, one of whom, I don't know, you probably can't see it. One of whom is sleeping on my soundboard right now. Yeah. So I'm going to say this. If any part of this interview is fucked up, the sound is not good. It's my cat, Mac, who is honestly sleeping on my soundboard. I've never yeah. seen it before. How can he be comfortable? Well, cats are weird. Like, uh, I didn't realize. I thought that my dog was chewing up one of uh, his toys. And I'm uh, halfway through the uh, first part of the uh, podcast. He was chewing up a magazine. Oh, good. Good, so he's not a reader. Yeah, I didn't get to read it yet, so I guess I won't now. <laughs> Money well spent. Yeah, but, I mean, like, once we come back, like, I do want to get out a little bit more. Like, I want to get down to Maryland, because, you know, we have that Maryland connection, you and I, and I'm, I want to go perform for people that I grew up with, and then, like, my sister and her family live down there, so I want them to be able to come see me perform. Did you grow up in Baltimore or Ellicott City, like uh, Howard County? Yeah, I grew up in Howard County, so uh, my sister and I, her family still live there. But, like, I still have a ton of friends from growing up. And then I've lived there on and off in the past few years. But, uh, I mean, I've lived in Williamsport now for nine years. So this is pretty much home to me at this point. I lived in Lock Haven for two years, like 21 months. And I tell everybody that was too long because, yeah. like, there's nothing really to do in Lock Haven. And well, unless I've got a family, it's probably good if you have a family. But I was 23, 22 and 23 living there. So, you know, I could kind of hang out with the college kids. But I can't imagine if I'm if I mean, I say it now, like because I'm doing comedy. That's why I know anybody I know. Like yeah. just about like like all of my friends in town are comedians. And yeah. now, you know, there's some good things that come from the the Zoom age, you know. 
I, I've yeah. reached out a little more to Lewisburg and I've got I've got pals down there in Williamsport as well. You know, that's the good part. But like if not for comedy, I would have been completely antisocial. Yeah, it's weird because Williamsport is outside of uh, comedy. It's kind of like almost a mini Ithaca in a way, because a lot of the bands that play here, like for the younger kids are hippie jam bands. Right. And that's not my scene at all. I mean, I listen to a lot of different stuff, but that's not really stuff that's on my radar. But for some reason, that crowd accepts me, which I find to be funny because I'm the guy who grew up recounting the times that I've seen Slayer and Pantera in that and like being in the punk rock scene. And these are kids who collect crystals and re-energize <laughs> them. Like uh, when I showed up here, it was in the middle of like the gas boom. So people thought that I was a part of that. I'm like, nah, I ended up here under bad circumstances. I'm just trying to get by, you know? Like I've actually done more living in Williamsport than I have. Uh, I mean, I lived in Baltimore. I've lived in Philly. I've lived in D.C. I've lived in New York City. I haven't done as much stuff in any of those cities as I have in Williamsport. I had my first paid acting gig in Williamsport. No kidding. So Doing what? I was in a commercial for a soap company. I don't even think you use soap. Uh, yeah, sometimes they do. <laughs> That's how good an actor you are. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I haven't showered for four days, but <laughs> nobody, nobody needs to know that. The only people that really see me right now are the people that do the curbside delivery at Duncan. <laughs> oh, man. Now, even at Duncan, like you have to dress yourself up. I mean, I can understand going to Starbucks. They see so many people. But Duncan, that's where the actual good stuff is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't until the uh, shutdown happened. Like there's a uh, Duncan without traffic or hitting a red light. It's a 42 second drive from my place. That sounds perfect. Yeah. So it's like I pull up to uh, the um, curbside delivery, hit the button, and boom, they bring my stuff right out. I was actually really bummed because uh, it got shut down for two weeks because three of their employees got COVID. And I would drive by it, and a single tear would roll down my cheek. And I'm like, my Aww. Duncan. <laughs> The first time I went back when they reopened, they were all like, oh, we missed you. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. But it's also because I get the same thing every day. Yeah. And they love it because I actually know how to talk to people. I may look like borderline feral unhygienic scumbag <laughs> i don't think borderline is the right word <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is it's like because i've worked in the service industry most of my life like i'm nice to the people that work in it because i know that how shitty that job is like i've worked in restaurants most of my life like being a bartender i think that that's helped a lot with comedy as well because you have to be able to rattle shit back at people yeah Quickly. You can also work on shit uh, as a bartender because you can feed people bullshit the drunker they get. And also, I'm going to take a guess that if it doesn't go well the first time, you can wait until they come back and do it again because they won't know because they've been drunk. Oh, the yeah. first time. And you can use the same jokes over and over again to people that have never been there to the point that coworkers are just like, oh, Jesus Christ, that line again. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's also a good way to get to know people. And then, like, before the shutdown happened, several of my bar regulars were people that would come out to comedy shows. Plus, uh, getting to know other people in the industry, it also helps get venues, too. Yeah, yeah. I've, I thought about it, too, like, like because comedy is how I was paying my bills. So yeah. I thought, okay, well, and it helps when you're booking shows, it helps that you're good to the staff because they're friends with yeah. all the other bartenders. So, but I thought maybe if I become a bartender, you know, and work maybe just Monday, Wednesday night, something like that, that yeah. would be my end to get new places. Yeah. And you can try that, but it's like, um, like going back, like, uh, a lot of, uh, the shows that I've done are because of Kevin Seibert. I'd be like, Hey, you know, if you need an opener for any show, let me know. And, uh, he's just like, okay. And because of him, I owe a lot of, uh, the shows that I've gotten because I've gotten to open up for, uh, Olivia Grace, uh, Krish right. Mohan, Elliot Chang. And to the point that when Elliot Chang comes through, he asks Kevin to have me open for him, which means a lot to me. Because, right. I mean, he's not a huge name, but it's just one of those things that's just like, okay, he's he's a pretty big name online, so am I going to turn that show down? Hell no. Yeah. And there's other people that I'm forgetting about, but uh, really a lot of uh, a lot of the shows around here, it's cool because other comedians will hook it up, like Rashid when he books a show, or like... There's a brewery around the corner from my place that did a show and asked me to open it. And it was a lot of fun, even though the two guys that uh, performed were awful to the point. I don't even remember their names, so it's not worth bringing up. <laughs> like it was like a year ago, they showed up two hours late, no game plan. I'm trying to like talk to them being like, OK, well, how what do you want to do? Like, uh, how much time do you want me to do? And they just kind of blew me off. They actually hit Kevin up about a show, and they were like, oh, yeah, together we're $1,500. Oh, fuck you. And Kevin was just like, yeah, good luck. Yeah, I know uh, I know Kevin's budget. He's not getting that. No, at most, like, the room that we were doing was 40, 50 people, you know? So that's like $400, $500 if we sell. It's just tough to get people to come out and support anything. Yeah. You know, you can get a thousand people to come out and see a shitty cover band, but you can't get more than like 10 people paying to see a comedy show for $5. Even with a free show, it's hard to get 20 yeah. at times. We did a free show at a bar and I... Uh, the lineup was uh, me, Zach Hammond, Dan Hopple, Kevin Seibert, and I, uh, oh God, I can't remember the headliner's name, Charlie something. We had like 14 people show up and I was just like, for a free show. Yeah. With that caliber comedian too. Yeah. Like, God, why can't I remember that dude's name? Like he was so nice, but we felt bad. It just blows my mind because people around here are just ridiculously cheap in every way possible. 
It's like Williamsport would be great if so many people didn't walk around with their heads up their asses and play victim for everything. Well, we get it at Binghamton, too, so it's not exclusive. And, like, I blast shows all over Facebook when I'm on them, and I do it for other shows, too. And it's just like, people are like, oh, we didn't see that. I'm like, I invited you. You saw the invite. I can see that you saw the invite. You ignored it. I was there. So now just make up for it and not return the RSVP for your shitty wedding. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) Yeah. You don't come to my comedy shows. I'm not going to support your marriage. Well, and your comedy shows are going to be a success. You know that. Yeah. The last longer than your marriage will. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember the worst set you've ever had? Yeah. um, It was uh, me, Bill Russell, and a woman named Sheila Lintock got booked at a show uh, at a winery. It was a Tuesday night. So uh, the show was supposed to start at 6 because, you know, comedy shows on Tuesday nights should start at the time when everybody's getting off of work. (laughs) 7 o'clock rolls around. The only three people that were there that didn't work there were me, Bill Russell, and Sheila Lintot. Oh, awesome. No one showed up. We just sat there, and it was actually like, Bill and I had talked a little bit, but that was like the night that we became friends. When there was nobody else around, you had to talk to each other. That's why you became friends. Well, and the thing is, like, Bill and I have a lot in common, but it was like, we would see each other at open mics, and open mics aren't really like, they're good for hanging out, but not getting to really know people. Well, especially since Bill runs it. Like, he's yeah. got to be in different directions. And then by the end of it, he's so drunk that he forgets everything. Yeah. That's a running he has, theme. He has a problem, life. by the way. I think he's got a problem. We should. Uh, you, <laughs> the, the horrible well, part well, with Bill Russell's drinking problem is that he named a goddamn podcast, Drunk Bill Explains. So if he gets sober, that's the end of the podcast. That would be like with me with uh, being in recovery. If I had, like, Drunk Yeti Explains. <laughs> I mean, it's just weird because uh, my biggest fear right now, like when everything starts coming back, since I've gotten sober, like uh, for those that don't know, I had a drinking problem and I I just uh, celebrated my 90 days sober the other day. Go me. When we come back from everything, because I was always known for having a few drinks before performing. And there were shows that I was bombed out of my mind. Because you got to find that balance. Right. So now it's like performing sober is going to be like, I don't get as much stage fright as I used to, but everybody gets a little nervous before a show. And if you don't, you're a liar. Yeah. Like I host most every show I produce and I want to start the show at 730 when it's supposed to start. Yeah. But I'm fighting with something in the back of my head that says, no, let's just wait a few more minutes so more people can show because I'm nervous that I don't want to start right now. I don't want to interrupt somebody's conversation. Like there's all these things fighting my want to start at 730, start on time. So and then going along the second worst show I've ever had, not long after I started performing, I started doing Kevin and I started doing an open mic in Williamsport. And I was still really wet behind the ears when I, when we started doing that. So I didn't really know how to run it. I was looking to him because he was more experienced. 
And there was one night that I was out of it because the night before I uh, decided to take a uh, shitload of Xanax and drink a bunch. I heard that's recommended usually. Yeah. You know, take, take as much as you need (laughs) and then some more and then wash it down with a ton of beer. Like my friends that were there were just like, what's going on with you? And I'm like, why? And they're like, what do you want? I'm like, nothing currently. And they were like, what did you do last night? I was like, oh, a ton of Xanax and I drank my ass off. And my friend who's a nurse was just like, how much Xanax? And I told her, and she was just like, that wasn't you getting fucked up. That was a legitimate suicide attempt. <laughs> All I could say was maybe subconsciously. I don't know. So, and I don't really remember that show at all. So it's a good memory. Yeah. I have a video of it and I, nobody will ever see it. Cause I'm up there and I'm just like, ah, oh, dude, fucking shit. <laughs> and everybody's just kind of like looking at me like, oh God, what did he do? And that's when I was just like. Yeah, that's I can't I can't really do that if I'm going to do comedy. I think the most nervous I'd ever been was. Do you remember Eric Drexler? Yeah, he gave me a shot of whiskey before a show one time, and I drank the whiskey. And I had like ten minutes to process everything before going on stage. But as soon as I drank the whiskey, it was something got into my head where I was like, "Oh no, I don't remember my first joke." And the first joke sets up the second, and I wasn't even on stage yet. I was fine. But, like, that scared me enough to never drink liquor yeah. before a show. Oh, yeah. And before I uh, quit drinking, um, I found, like, if I have, like, a beer or two before I perform, that was, like, perfect. But then, like, a lot of the drinking came with, like, the shutdown because left to my own devices in shutdown for six months it was just easy to start drinking as soon as I woke up and being like, oh, wow, it's 5 p.m. and I'm already out of whiskey. Holy shit. <laughs> so and then let me ask you, yeah. what's your most memorable moment of doing stand up? Jeez, that's a good question. Nobody ever asked me any questions. Uh, this is weird. One of my favorite shows I did a headlining spot at Ithaca, and there were six of us on the lineup. It was a pretty good show. The lineup was okay, uh, but it was separated into two spots. Like there was uh, the host, and then two other comedians. Then there was an intermission, and then three comedians ended it. And you know, I thought, okay, well, there's definitely one heavy hitter on the first part, and it ended really strongly. But I thought the three comedians on the back end were were stronger totally. And I was set up pretty well, and I did my set. I think I did 25, 30 minutes. Felt like I glided. And yeah. it was great. Like people came up to me afterward. Oh, this is great. I love it. And I just had one hell of a time there. And then it followed. I used the same set at a show where I completely bombed. So like, it's like kind of like up and down to comedy. But but I really love that moment. I don't know if that's my favorite. I opened for Gilbert Gottfried because that's a rite of passage with comedians. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I did five minutes and I had a great set. And I like that. At least I felt it goes great. And I walked off. I, you know, didn't forget anything. And I was just kind of charged. So there are moments like that. But I don't know. Like, I don't know what my my favorite. I opened for Rabbit from Super Troopers on a show. My ex-girlfriend. And I loved it. And I had had a good set there. And it was right after my grandma died. So I'm like, I had a lot of material there. So that was kind of cool, too. So I don't know if I have an all-time favorite. I just know the ones I bombed really bad. Yeah. I know those for sure. The reason why I ask that is because out of all the stuff I've ever done, my favorite moment was uh, my mom and my father and my stepmother came to see me open uh, the Jim Brewer show. 
after my set, like my parents, my uh, dad is uh, 68 and my stepmother is 71. My stepmother had to ask my dad what a glory hole was after my set. <laughs> and then got mad at him because he knew what a glory hole was. Oh, that's not fair. Like, But also my dad was a sheet metal worker in New York City in the 70s and 80s. That's where they made them. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, for some reason, that sticks out as like my crowning achievement in comedy. Because I can just imagine that because I love my stepmother, but she is like the stereotypical high-strung Italian woman. Yeah. Who would be like, what's a glory hole? And then he explains, she'd be like, that's disgusting. How do you know what that is? And I was just like, that means everything to me. I did a show in Scranton, and at the open mic last week, I, I did this joke, but I, I did it on stage. And the punchline for one of these jokes is, uh, gonorrhea ain't nothing to clap about. And yeah. th- that line always goes over really well. Two Walmart employees are talking with each other. The one says the other, gonorrhea ain't nothing to clap about. And one of the people in the crowd said, that should be on a shirt. And I was like, (laughs) motherfucker, it will be on a shirt. So, like, that's a high point for me. And it'll be even higher if I ever get my ass off and do any marketing. And I would wear that shirt. I would wear it, too. That's brilliant. (laughs) I I love that. And for some reason, I don't know what it is. I've had a pretty decent amount of stage time. I have yet to be heckled. Really? I think, afraid I, might, of you. I think it might be because I'm six foot tall, but I'm a pretty big dude. And like people can't see me, but I'm covered in tattoos. So people are like, okay, uh, if we heckle this guy, is he going to come over and eat the smallest person sitting with us? <laughs> I mean, I've told people to shut the fuck up. But other than that, I've never had a legit heckler. Yeah, they probably think you're a hell's angel. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, it's like one of my lines uh, doing stand-up is uh, my self-descriptor is I'm like if they made a Sons of Anarchy branded Cabbage Patch Kid. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, and like I still stand by that because it's just like I'm this big guy. But the thing is, is, I mean, I used to be an asshole, but now it's like people try to start shit with me and I'm just like, whatever. I'm too old to fight and fighting hurts these days. <laughs> like The older I get, the harder it is to get out of bed every day. I got to ask you one thing then I want to get going, but you were behind the site or the Facebook group. Is Dan Hopple still alive, right? Yeah. I, okay. I haven't been able to update because I'm on another uh, Facebook ban. And the thing is, is like Facebook, like I think I'm going to do away with it as soon as I'm back from the ban because their standards are just ridiculous these days. I've reported people for racial slurs making threats uh, against people um, because of like their nationality or their sexual orientation and that, and nothing's done. But some woman went joyriding around our town the other day and was smashing out windows and cars with a hammer because she thought it was fun. And I posted, yeah, you know, if you're 16, she's 50. Oh, okay. Yeah. She got popped. Like they caught her. 
So I would, I posted something like, you know, Santa thinks you're a dick and you should be beaten uh, with a uh, stocking full of coal for ruining other people's Christmas. I and I got banned for three days for that. And I'm just like, what did I say that was so wrong there? You know, it's crime and punishment. But I see people like saying, oh, like we should hang our governor for shutting down restaurants. And I'm like, that doesn't count as a threat. <laughs> That's free speech. And when you invoke the violence, the violent rage of Santa Claus. Yeah, like, I mean, that's a threat in like the 1700s, but it's still a threat, you know? So, oh, let's get Wolf and throw him on the gallows. But somebody smashes out when, like, she, because she smashed out something like 60 to 70 car windows. Oh, my God. How do you like, do that and not get caught, like, in the process? I don't know. Like, it was late at night, and she just went driving around, and luckily, like, technology is what fucked her up, because a bunch of people saw it on, uh, had it on security cameras and that. Oh, okay. Like, they got her license plate, and apparently, like, they went to her house, and they were like, did you do this? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Made it they easy. were like, why? And she was like, because it was fun. And I'm like, wow, that's what you do for fun? She couldn't have at least blamed the liberals because yeah. they made me do it. Like, they tricked me. Yeah, uh, it, I got a microchip implant from Bill Gates that said, if you're going to get busted for something like that, make up a cool story at least. Yeah, entertain the court. Yeah, you know, like. I actually just got my first uh, summons for jury duty, and I'm just like, oh, I'm actually going to go just to see if I uh, know the person that's on trial <laughs> so I can roast them. Jury duty is just a good way to reconnect. Yeah. I mean, especially because I know a lot of, uh, like, Williamsport, I know a lot of shitty people, but I know a lot of great people as well. So it's just like, if it's one of the shitty people I know, I'm just going to be like, ha ha. But I'm also the same person that'll go through like the uh, people that got arrested and charged on in the local paper. And if I don't know them, I look them up on Facebook. That's one of my interests. <laughs> you're, you're a sick man. Uh, it's a form of entertainment that I've been doing for years now. So maybe I shouldn't get rid of Facebook just because of that. <laughs> no, no. I, I say keep it going so you're you're safer in the house than you will be on the street. I guarantee that. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty safe now, but that's also because I never leave. So if anybody tries to come in, they're going to have to deal with my dog barking and they're just going to hear me scream, shut up. And they're going to be like, whoa, that's a pretty scary guy in there. <laughs> and he's got a dog that might eat him so yeah. you come but full he, circle he just wants to be your best friend really <laughs> well man i had a lot of fun talking to you uh how can people follow along with you on social media you know providing you do get let back on the facebook uh i do have a facebook page that uh is never updated it's just eddie kirsnowski comedian i'm on instagram uh but i only post memes and dog pictures. Uh, it's Yeti and Abe, uh, one word, all lowercase. Other than that, I'm, I'm social media savvy, but I don't do every piece of social media possible. I say in about three months, when this airs or whatever, you're going to have a TikTok account. So that's fun. No, I'm not. <laughs> 
Not even close? Not, no, not even no, considering? I'm, okay. I'm resigned to the fact that I'm just like, okay, I'm going to be the last dude that does comedy to ever have a podcast. Nothing against you. I would love to hear it, but I don't think anybody's going to cry over one less podcast. Yeah. You know, I'm just like, it's already a glutted market. So... I mean, I'm also trying to turn my attention more towards writing. So uh, I think trying to fit a podcast into my already teeming schedule of sitting around watching videos of BattleBots, Russian dash cam footage, and people hurting themselves in general, it would just cut into that. And I can't have that. Man, I can't seem to figure out why you don't have more friends. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's very odd. (laughs) Yeah. Neither can I. So, well, man, well, Mike, again, thanks for having me on. And I look forward to uh, when uh, you put this out uh, sometime in like 2022. You keep it up. It's going right in the garbage. I will sleep well. Okay. So will I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much. And I appreciate You're it, man. You're welcome. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in